Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome to this episode of Joanna and the Maestro, when, quite honestly, Stevie, we're now talking to what I would call the engine driver of a pianist's life. The engine maker, the engine, the engine driver. The engine operator, the ruler, the fat controller, and this is a very thin controller, which is David Whittacombe, who's a piano <laughs> tuner. And David, what I loved is when you came in, you said quite a lot of people say immediately, I thought all piano tuners were blind, and you're not blind. I'm not blind, no. no. <laughs> but why do you think that is? Is it because listening is the most important thing in your life, really? Yeah, that's that's a really important part of it. And I think traditionally there was a lot of work that was found for for blind or partially sighted veterans from the from, from the First World War. So there, there's always been a history of of training piano tuners who who've lost sight. And until quite recently, the the College for the Blind in Hereford had its own piano tuning course and they they did train sighted tuners as well but it's it yeah it's, it's one of those professions that has has always been associated with with blind or partially sighted people because obviously it's it, it's a sense that you don't necessarily need to do your job although in the modern world you, you have to drive from job to job so you are a bit more restricted but it's it's just something that's stark really can you train your ear to be more receptive, more refined, as it were, than ordinary us all people who can hear, just hear? We don't really think very much about hearing. It just comes into our ears and we hear it. But you have to listen in a completely different way, don't you? You're listening for sounds that, that are always there, but unless you're really aware of that and you really tune in to, the, to, to what you're listening to, to you, you can easily miss it. So it's, it's just really listening to to the sound of the piano, to the, to the notes, to the intervals, to the frequency of a note in a very specific and detailed way. And once you learn that, it becomes almost automatic. And I know there are, there are tuners whose hearing is deteriorated as they get older, but they're still able to tune because once you've learned that specific way of listening, it sticks with you in your brain. And, and still are you much put off by job. things like today, endless aeroplanes going overhead? Does that trouble you? Does it interrupt you when you're tuning a piano? It can do, but it, it's you learn selective hearing quite early on when you're when you're training to be a piano tuner, and you do to an extent learn to exclude a lot of extraneous noise so that you can concentrate on what you're doing. And of course, certainly in the concert tuning world, the the electronic apps have their their place up to a point, but generally you have to start from scratch and tune the whole piano. Whereas if you're at the Widmore Hall at six o'clock in the evening and you've got half an hour before a 7.30 concert, mm. you can't start from scratch. You have to work with what's there. So yeah. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to start from scratch for us. For yes, Steve, yes, yes. Let's go back. Go because scratch we've known each other from. for many years now, haven't we? We have, yes. Because... If there is a piano involved in a concert or a recording, and I think we met when I was recording with Mark Stone, am I right? That's right, down, down in Sussex. Yes, yes, at those wonderful studios. Yeah. Wherever there's a piano, there is always the necessity for someone like you with vast knowledge and experience to deal with any, with any problems. First of all, basic tuning, because, of course... How many strings are there in a in a Steinway Grand? It's usually about a two hundred or two hundred and twenty or thereabouts. It, exactly, and all of those strings, just to be a little uh, rigorous about it, all of those strings 
have to be in complete harmony with each other. And before we get into temperaments, perhaps (laughs) we shouldn't get into temperaments, but they have to be in harmony with each other. This is in the first instance, for the music to sound, for the instrument to sound pure and clean and, and useful. Then there's the action. Mm-hmm. There are so many parts in, of a piano, are there not? And many more than I can give the name to, because like most performers and most drivers of cars, you haven't got a single idea about the, the names of every component. <laughs> so for us performers, you are a kind of a magician without your work and the building of the instrument in the first place. None of the artistry, none of the musicianship, none of, none of what we want to do can possibly start. And it's something most people know nothing about. I would suggest in, in the artistic profession that, that, that is music, maintaining and tuning pianos is something that the vast majority of people are absolutely ignorant of. So you, the first question, David, how is do you start? how on earth did you... Did you did you get involved in this extraordinary thing? No, I I grew up in a musical family. My my dad was a pianist. When I was growing up, he was a he was a teacher, a peripatetic teacher, and and mostly taught students from home. But he was in his late fifties when I was born, so he'd had a whole life before I was around. And he for a while he was a a pianist for a touring ballet company. He was Mm -hmm. also working in music publishing and then fairly late in life became a piano teacher. My mum was a cello teacher. So music was just a normal part of everyday life. And I think I I grew up just hearing piano music coming through the wall when my dad was playing or when he was teaching. So it it, it just sort of soak in soaks in over time. And I did start to learn the piano, but I just I couldn't get on with it, and and I think having a parent teach you a musical instrument is not always something that works. But we realised that, fortunately, before it, it soured our relationship too much. And I actually, I went in a different direction, became a percussionist and a, and a drummer. Did you? I did. I didn't know that, because I was a percussionist. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast there, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I I did the I did the youth orchestra thing and and played in pop bands and rock bands and I loved playing jazz. That's where I really really found drums uh, drums Keep, in, yeah, drums, drums in yeah in in yeah. in in jazz in small jazz groups. And you were how old? Teens? So this was in my teens. Yeah. And then as I got towards eighteen, I just realised that going to music college and a career as a performer was just not what I wanted to do. And I think. Mm-hmm. Probably the, the the realization was that being into jazz meant that I would spend most of my time playing music I didn't want mm. to play and not being able to earn a living. And piano tuning was just one of those things that a uh, kind of a suggestion. I don't know where it came from, and I followed it up. Do you remember somebody play tuning your father's piano? Well, yeah, there was a lovely man with with a lovely name, Mister Boghurst, mm-hmm. and I had a, a few conversations with him, and and it and it just it really appealed to me that that kind of working lifestyle that, mm. that you're not based in one particular place, you working with musicians. I was also, growing up, I was very keen in, on on fixing things and taking things apart. And, you know, my, my sort of perfect summer holiday day was to take my bike apart and put it back together again. And I still do that now. And so... Because you bike around yeah. London, don't you, everywhere? Yeah, that's, yeah. It's, a, it's a great way to travel. But 
So the the idea of working with musicians and and that practical element of fixing things really appealed to me. And I found a course in piano tuning which was located within the London College of Furniture. And so I went there. I did I did four years there actually. And was that the normal length? That's a huge amount of a young life. It's a real craft, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I mean, I think. But it was a BTEC course, and there was a there was an, an, an ordinary national diploma, and then a higher national diploma. And I think you could go to the HND after the first year, but I didn't find that out until it was too late. So I ended up mm-hmm. doing two years, and then another two years. Yeah. And in those days, you could get a student grant, so I could I could afford to do that. The life plan really was to was to do the piano tuning as the day job, and hopefully get a few gigs in the evening, and then. In my final year, I just happened to bump into a friend who I who I knew had been at the college a few years before, and mm-hmm. she was working as a tuner with with Steinway in London. Mm-hmm. And I said to her one day, "Oh, how's the job going?" And she said, "Oh, I'm just about to leave." And I thought, "Oh, there'll be a there'll be a job vacancy." And then I thought, oh, "Do I want to work for Steinway?" I don't know, but it'd be quite fun to apply and you know have an interview. And it... but Steinway must have rung the same bell for you as it did for me when I was young. Surely, because Steinway has always been the absolute top of the tree for planners, full stop. Yeah, and I think I I, I never imagined that I would end up working for them. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed an opportunity, if nothing else, if I wrote them a letter and, and got a job interview, it, it might be the only chance I ever get to tune a Steinway. Yeah. And um, to cut a long story short, they offered me a job as one of their staff mm-hmm. tuners. That was in 1990. What does being a staff tuner entail? So I was one of a team of about five or six piano tuners working in London, and we would we would be sent wherever there was a piano that needed tuning, and that would be, include... Performance pianos or people at home or what, so, both? Everything, everything, everything. It would be, as we called them, domestics. So This is a domestic here, actually, Dave. Well, um, so it's a very, very nice domestic. Yes, I know. Yeah. But, I mean, but, but you mean domestic home, as, you mean at home. Yeah, yes, yes. yeah, I mean, this, this, you, this is on the cusp of domestic or professional, I would say. Be, be, be kind about my piano. <laughs> <laughs> Explain the piano, because I don't think we've talked about it. This is a Steinway B, is that right? It's it is, yes. It's a Model B. And tell me from the... It goes through the Steinways, which you will know, obviously, but maybe our listeners don't, from the tippy-top to the smally-small. So tippy-tippy-top is the huge Steinway concert grand, is that right? Yeah, so that's the Model D. That's the concert grand, and it's just short of nine feet long. Um, and most concert halls have a Steinway, don't they? Something like 97 or 98% of concert halls throughout the world have a a Steinway as their main concert instrument. But would they have other pianos as well? Because some of them have two Steinways as well, don't they? Or, well, look, I mean, I don't play concertos. I just wander out and shake the hand of the soloist (laughs) who's chosen a piano. But So would they have other pianos as well? They might do, depending on the size of the concert hall. I'm just thinking about the concert halls in London. Most of them have got more than one Steinway yeah. Model D. Because they they vary. And to a large extent, they are hand-built. Is that right? Um, yes, they're certainly hand-finished. Hand-finished. So, look, I just want to go... I want to race with you. We want, I want so, so <laughs> colossal, you mega, mega colossal Steinway D. Then mm-hmm. come shrimpy shrimpy, come smaller, smaller, smaller. What's the next one down? Okay, so the Model C is a, a slightly scaled-down version of a, of a Model D. It has... 
very similar scaling. It's seven foot five, I think, off the top of my head. So it's it's a bit shorter. Then you've got the Model B, which is this one. And then the Model A is a slightly smaller scaled down version of the B. And then you've got the three smaller models, which really are, I suppose, what we would call domestic pianos. Are um, these boudoir babies, things like that? What are they called? They were originally called uh, miniature Mm. Yeah, Steinway's never really gone in for the the fancy names like the boudoir and baby, and oh. we we just like we like letters. D- did Steinway ever make an upright? Yes, um, oh, yes. yes, we still th- we still make. You still uprights. do, and are they popular? They're not because pop- not many people have got enough room to have a great big grand piano in their house. No, that's true. Yeah, we still sell quite a few quite a few uprights. I've um, looked at uprights in the auction because I bought a a small upright for the house. They're quite a luxurious upright piano, though, aren't they? You, it, by luxurious, I mean it's it's in a different price range from mm. all of the the ones that people need to fit into small spaces in in their homes. I mean, you, none of the pianos that I grew up playing on were Steinway uprights. There were always other other makes. We mustn't make mm. the sound as though we've been sponsored by Steinway. No, but look, I love <laughs> but, Steinway. But no, literally, no, I literally This is didn't. a personal matter. I know, I know. Between and I, me and, and wanted, my tuna. I'm here, I'm, I'm here, caring <laughs> because I wanted to lead on to that when you said those very words, me and my tuna. <laughs> David, you, you not only tune the piano to the sound that it has to have, you then tune it for the player, don't you? Because some people have a heavier touch or want particularly want something. You, Stephen's always, you're, you're very picky about the sound that, or the touch on the piano once it's been tuned. And you must get to know this from the from the the great performers what what they would like the piano to be like when after your half hour rushing there and trying to get it ready for the concert in the evening. In that context, there's not a great deal that you can do to change the touch of a piano. That's something that's that takes more time and is done in advance of a performance. The idea is really that the pianist is is unaware of what's happening under the bonnet, so to speak, that mm. you as a pianist put in energy through your fingers and what comes out at the other end is that sound. And all the mechanics of, of that that happens in between is you shouldn't really need to be aware of that as a pianist. That's the measure of success. But you would still say, wouldn't you, that there are some soloists who would be very picky. For example, I'd always believed that Polini actually wouldn't go do a recital anywhere unless he brought his own piano. Mm. So he wouldn't play on anyone else's piano except his own. And I also believe that other pianists are very, very picky about their instruments. This business of the differences between pianos is quite important, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, there are the, the pianists that, that are at the top of the tree, if you like, are very particular about the about the sound and the touch that that they're getting out of their out of the mm-hmm. piano. And you know, some of them it can be very demanding, and they can be talking about tolerances of fractions of millimeters in the adjustment of the action. But it, mm. it makes all the difference, and and you can hear it in their playing. Slight tangent, but closely related, I think. When I was running Buxton, we hired a piano every year for piano recitals. And I chopped and changed a little bit. But the biggest change we made was that the new Blutner Grand came on stream. 
And Mr. Blutner himself offered us this piano because what he wanted to do was to get feedback from artists. And so we had a lovely list of, uh, it, it was Stephen Kovacevich, your friend who was once called your Stephen husband, Huff. Stephen Huff, lovely man. And we had Angela Hewitt who came. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating talking to them and getting their feedback on exactly how the instrument spoke. And I say it was pretty even down the middle. No names here, but some were very discreetly polite. And others said, no, I think this is a triumph. I, I, I really enjoyed that. This is something people don't really ever understand. And I, I must say, when I was learning the piano, initially, occasionally, my piano teacher, you know, when I was 12, would say, Oh, for goodness sake, you do have to concentrate on evenness of touch. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, I played all the notes at the right dynamic in the right order, and it seemed it, it seemed nice to me. It's only something that you really develop. And this must be the case, too, for someone in your line of business, where, where, where you, you gather information and more and more, more and more and more experience teaches you more about the job. Is that the case? Or do you come out of college and you're completely qualified in every aspect? Well, I, I, yeah, I do remember at the end of my four years at uh, the London College of Furniture and where I'd learned pretty much everything there was to know about pianos. And then I started work and realised that I, I knew absolutely nothing about pianos. <laughs> um, it's a series of problems and puzzles that you find solutions to. And I think that's always been a fascinating thing for me. And I've my career has mainly been in tuning. I haven't got very deeply into the technical aspects of, of rebuilding pianos. It's such an important profession, though, if one just simply calculates the number of pianos there are, mm. it's crucial to say that there's a particular life that, that actually you've rather enjoyed, I think, with all the different elements. Yeah, and I think of new people, new instruments, different needs, different requirements. Mm. You know, it's hardly ever static, is it? Music is everywhere, and Mm. and at the heart of that, almost every piece of music that's composed starts by somebody picking a tune out on a piano. So Mm -hmm. um, it's really at the at the heart of something that's really important. um, I I feel. Yep. Um, Certainly, my view. Thank you. Thank you, David, very much. David, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I feel tuned.